I'm going to ask Ali if she'll come and join me here. Time's moving on, and we're going to we're going to move on in our uh, time this morning with you, looking at AIDS. And if you have with you, or you have beside you, you should have with you uh, a little sheet you were given as you come in this morning. We want to refer to that for a moment or two. I want you to look at that sheet, and uh, as I say, I'm grateful to Ali, uh, who has had fairly extensive experience of working in AIDS environments. In 2000, she went to Uganda. In 2004-05, she was in India. And then just last year, I think it was, spent three weeks in Nigeria attending an international AIDS conference. She's much more versed in the whole subject of AIDS than I am. So I'm grateful for her help this morning. Ali, share with us. Okay. Um, I get a lot of questions about HIV because most people who know me know this is one thing that I'm really passionate about. As you all know, on Friday it was World AIDS Day, and the theme of World AIDS Day this year was keeping the promise. And that promise is that the governments in the world will take the issue of AIDS more seriously, provide the antiretroviral treatment that is so needed by so many in the developing world. So I'm going to give you a wee brief rundown on HIV and AIDS, because a lot of people are very confused between the two. Um, HIV is basically the virus called the human immuno. Uh, sorry, I'm all mixed up this morning. The human immunodeficiency virus. And um, there's a picture there of the virus trying to attach onto a white cell. Basically, it attaches to a certain receptor called a CD4 receptor. The virus is then really nasty. It uses its RNA. It cor- incorporates that into the cell. The cell makes DNA of the virus, changes it back to RNA, and releases lots and lots of new HIV virus particles into the blood to infect yet more cells. And eventually you get to the point that all your um, helper cells in your body which fight infections die. And that leads to AIDS, which is the acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. And that happens when you have a count of less than 200 of these special CD4 cells. And um, there's a whole list of things there that many of the patients that I was working with in India they would have all had and those were particularly nasty. So we picture there my favourite child who almost made me cry the last time I talked in church um, called Pravanchi and she died of HIV or of AIDS before she was three years old. Um, the pictures at the bottom are just some of the many drugs that people with HIV in this country can take to prevent them from getting really, really sick and those drugs are not available for the majority of people with, who suffer from AIDS in the world. Um, I've been asked, how can you get infected with HIV? Basically, through sex, either heterosexual sex or um, sex um, between men. And um, that's pretty much it. To be able to talk about this in church is quite funny. Sharing of drug injecting equipment. And that's not just the needles. That's the containers that they use to make the drugs up. And that's the tourniquets they use as well. All of that can get really contaminated with infected blood. And that's how many people get um, infected with HIV, particularly around Balamina, I have to say. During pregnancy, um, at birth, or during breastfeeding. And this is part of the big campaign that we'll mention in a wee bit more later on that Tear Fund are doing, is to try and reduce this. And contaminated blood and blood products used in hospitals. And thankfully in this country, this is no longer an issue. But in some countries in the world, this still happens. And needle stick injuries. Um, when I worked with the Emanuel Hospitals in Delhi, unfortunately a couple of members of staff, not at the clinic that I was based at for my research, but they did get infected through needle stick injuries, so it does happen. 
And these are ways that you cannot become infected. Kissing, hugging, touching, using foods, um, culturally coughing, shaking hands, insect bites, swimming pills, you name it. None of those things will um, allow you to become infected with HIV. So that's just a very brief rundown. So we're going to get to our questions. Okay, question one. In which year was HIV AIDS first discovered? 1981. Thank you. Yep, that's correct. Yep. How many many million people in the world today are infected with HIV AIDS? Come on. Have you not been watching the news in the past few days? Not quite. The one before it. 39 and a half million people in the world today. The interesting point to note is that this year is the first year there hasn't been a massive increase. They're not 100% sure. The number could be up to 47 million, but we never know the true figures. And we're hoping that the steadying off that we're seeing is due to all the prevention campaigns that are taking place. Okay, how many people have died in the last year due to HIV AIDS? Come on, have a guess. Three and a half? Not quite. The one before it. 2.9 million, we've put it down as 3 million. 3 million have died in the last year. Of the people infected with HIV AIDS, what percentage live in sub-Saharan Africa? Don't be shy. (laughs) I heard a 55, I think, from you all. It's slightly higher than that. Okay. Two-thirds. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how many million AIDS orphans are there in the world today? Come on. Fourteen and a half. Actually, fifteen. I think we missed a question there. Maybe you're in a different order. Who? I hope so. Um... <laughs> A lot of the children that you see up on the screen, in fact, all of these children are all HIV orphans and they live in New Delhi. Um, some, most of them will live with a couple at the back of the picture. Not all of them would stand still for the photograph, but this couple look after about 30 orphans. And that's the reality of what HIV means to many communities in the world today. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Anybody want to hazard a guess at that one? One in three. That's correct. Swaziland has the worst um, statistics for HIV of any country in the world. If you think about it, one in three adults, a third of this church, you know, if you bring it into reality here, that means that you would know a lot of people who are infected or who are dying, who are sick, and then that, in turn, results in a lot of orphans. Okay, what percentage of HIV-infected pregnant women in developing countries have access to drugs which will prevent them passing HIV to their unborn or newborn children. It is a bit higher than that. 1%. It's actually 5%. This family or another family I worked with in India, and whenever this lady was pregnant with her last child, she found out that she was infected with HIV and the doctors wanted to abort her baby, and she objected to this. 
All three of her children are infected with HIV because the drugs were not provided for her and they were available at the time in India. How many babies will be born today, this day, this Sunday, 3rd of December, infected with HIV? I heard 600 and I heard 1600 and the answer is in fact 1600. That's one for every single minute of every single day of the year. And how many adults in the UK? You know, we often think of AIDS, and we have for years thought it's something that happens way over there. It's in Africa particularly. I think one of the most disturbing facts I picked up this week is how fast it's developing in India. But what about the UK? Anybody hazard a guess? Yep. 60,000 in the UK. And over the last number of years, as you can see from this graph, it's not very good, hopefully people at the back can point it out, that the number of people who now have HIV from the heterosexual community has far surpassed those within the homosexual community. And that's why it's rising so, so much. Okay, now we're really coming home. The island of Ireland, how many in Ireland are infected with HIV AIDS? Oh, sorry. Yes, sorry, that answer didn't come up. The answer is 5,000 in the whole island of Ireland. Bonus, if you can tell me how many people in Northern Ireland are infected with HIV. To the nearest uh, 50. Damn. Okay. I have the statistics straight from the gum clinic in the Royal. We have 568 people on the register in Northern Ireland infected with HIV. It was 500 in July, so it shows you how many people have been diagnosed since then. You can do lots of things with statistics and they can be thoroughly boring. Now, the reason we did that this morning was to give you some idea of a disease which is having an incredible impact right across the world, but is actually on our doorstep. Some of you said 285. That's the answer I would have given for Northern Ireland because that's the figure that we heard in the media. But, in fact, Ali has got uh, information to show that it's a much worse situation. Share with us, Ali. Okay. I often get asked why I think the AIDS is such a big problem. And there are many, many, many answers, and we don't have time to go through them all today, but I just want to run through a few. This is the world map as we see it, the world AIDS map, and you can see that the darker the colour, the more um, HIV cases would be per percentage of the population. So South Africa is by far the worst area affected, but India has the, wor the highest number of people for the size, you know, per population um, infected. There's 5.6 million, but the doctors that I worked with in India reckon the figure is probably closer to 10 million in India today. One of the reasons is due to silence. People really do not want to talk about the issues surrounding HIV and also the stigma attached to HIV is so severe that people are just so scared and for many they will actually commit suicide rather than tell people that they have HIV. The worldview of people as well also influences it. 
fatalism. This is a Muslim uh, woman and her daughter. And in that part of their worldview is that this is what Allah has allowed to happen and, and that's the way it's going to be. For this young girl, her husband abused her and sold, basically uses her to feed his drug habits. So she's used as a prostitute by him with all his friends and that's how she became infected. This lady here is a prostitute. She was abused as a young girl. One of the horrible things in India is that many of the young girls will have been sexually abused by some member of their family. For her, it was her uncle. As a result of that, she ended up having to run away from home and work the streets. She did get married, but she has to keep this, ha- this lifestyle up to support her children. Through some miracle, none of her children are infected. And by the grace of God, may that continue. The traditional culture um, is a higher value on fertility than on faithfulness in marriage. To have many, many children is a great thing for, for many men in many of the, the cultures that I've worked in. Prostitution and promiscuity are acceptable and never discussed. For many women, they'll know that their husbands have been unfaithful, but they can never bring that subject up and they can never demand that he stay faithful to her. And again, sexual abuse within family circles. And to put a picture and a name and a face to that, this little girl is called Priya and her father abused her and that's how she became infected with HIV. Her father then committed suicide, leaving her mother alone to bring up these two girls. Family separation also adds to the HIV crisis. In South Africa, the whole apartheid regime really influenced that separating people. Men had to go and look for work elsewhere, had to go to the mines, so they're away from their families for long periods of time. Others move for education and then the young people are under so much pressure um, in the environments that they live in to be sexually active. I've also heard of cases where young people in schools have to give sexual favours to teachers in order to pass their exams and that is horrifying and disgusting and it should never be allowed to happen. War also displaces people and separates them from their families. Famine and lost children. These little children at the bottom of the screen, they were probably separated from their parents while they were travelling by train and they were found around the railway station in Varanasi and they had nowhere else. They just lived on the street and they looked after each other. But these children are then really vulnerable to being sold into the sex um, industry. The women up above that, they all became infected because their husbands were separated from them through work. They became infected when they were away from home and brought the infection home to their wives. They're now all widowed and they all have HIV. Other reasons would be poor health care. Many people cannot access health care in the way that we so much take for granted here. Traditional practices such as circumcision, um, witchcraft, uh, ritual cuttings between the whole family. An entire family in a village in Africa was wiped out thanks to a witch doctor coming along and cutting the infected person and then using that same knife to cut every single member of the family as a method to try and appease the spirit world so that this person would become better and the whole family was dead within four years. And, you know, that's through ignorance and lack of education. The sexual revolution in the West has also had an influence on what happens in these developing countries because they look to us. And the example that our media portrays is not very helpful. Many of the young students that I worked with in Delhi, they were very influenced by what they were seeing on the American cable shows that they, were, they had really easy access to. And their whole views on relationships and sex were very skewed as a result. 
um, displacement and urbanization. Like Delhi is a massive city, you just can't see the country. You stand and you see nothing but buildings and buildings and buildings. And that's only one of the many mega cities in the world. And life in these cities is not particularly pleasant for many people who live in slums. And that all aids and fuels the whole HIV crisis. Then we have the condom issue. Again, quite a provocative thing to bring up in church. But for so long, Christians have been um, trying to get sort of got into a fight. When I was in Nigeria last year, it was so frustrating when I was at the Christian AIDS conference that this is what it boiled down to between the Catholic community and the rest of the Christian church fighting over this issue. And in the meantime, people were dying. And the reality is that they can help reduce somebody's chances of getting infected with HIV. And I know a number of Christian projects who do not advertise to their sponsors here and in the, in the West and in America that they use and advocate the use of condoms because they know that their funding will dry up. But the reality is that when used correctly, this can reduce your um, chance of getting infected. We do try to promote ABCD, practice abstinence, be faithful, use condoms if you can't use the first two, otherwise you're going to face death. And this is promoted widely across Africa and in Asia. And there are countries where this is really starting to have an impact and the number of new infections has gone down dramatically. Why should Christians get involved? Well, Christ's example of compassion, we all know it. I don't need to talk about it or go into any detail. We all know um, the gospel so well. And there are so many millions affected and infected by the HIV virus today, not just around the world, but in our own community. The reality is that the equivalent of 18 tsunamis happen every single year. That's the number of people who die every year from HIV. It's the equivalent of 18 tsunamis. I was in India when the tsunami happened, thankfully not where, where um, the devastation occurred. But I was overwhelmed by the generosity from people around the world for the victims, and it was so needed. Why can't we do that for people with HIV as well? HIV is not curable. We've no vaccine. We've no magic drug that's available around the corner. But it is curable. And the church is well positioned to be able to provide care and support in the community. Like for this family in Nigeria. They are being provided for by a church organization. And their little girl is not infected because the parents were able to get the drugs needed. They look so healthy. And they are. It's because they're getting the help and support and the counselling and everything they need through the church. Last year, you may have been here to see the DVD on ACID, which is the local organisation um, involved in HIV. ACID stands for AIDS Care Education and Training. And they look after families who are infected and affected by HIV and drug dependence. And they also provide education and training. More than 160,000 people have benefited from their education um, resources. And they also support 120 families. And in those 120 families, there's about 80 children. Now, most of the support work with the families is based in Dublin at the moment. But if you could really think about the local work that's going on, there's information um, out on the porch there on Asset and what they do. They are an amazing organisation, and I highly, highly recommend finding out more about them. Tear Fund, as I mentioned, have a huge campaign called the Miracles Project. You may have heard they were having a night at the Strand Cinema on Friday night, which was really successful. Basically, they're concentrating on this lady called Esther and her daughter, Alan Affey. Esther is HIV positive, 
and she didn't know if her daughter was infected or not, and thankfully Alan Affey wasn't. We have the DVD packs, if any of your fellowship groups would be interested in looking at that in further detail. But the bulk of Tear Fund's main campaign, which is over the next 10 years, is for as little as £7 a month. You can help reduce the probability of a child being born with HIV to an infected mother from 33% to 2%. It can be done, and it is possible. I don't have time to talk any more about that. Um, I worked for Hope for AIDS as part of the SIM umbrella in India. And basically what we did was home care, orphan support, prevention and empowerment of the people to look after themselves, but also empowerment of the churches to look after people infected with HIV. Where I lived in Delhi, there were more people infected with HIV than there are Christians. So that shows you the scale of the work that the church has in Asia. They don't have the same support structures in place that Africa has. These are just some of the countries that Hope for AIDS work in, but you'll find out a bit more about that in a minute. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ali. Time is really running away with us, but one thing I do want to do this morning is just stop and take time and pray. And I want to pray under these headings that are on the screen. And I want you to take away some of these things with you and use them, build them into your own prayer life and do remember for the future. So let's take a moment or two to pray. Let's pray. Father, we do want to take time this morning to pray for people who are living with AIDS and HIV. Pray that their suffering and pain would be decreased. That they would have courage to admit their status. That they would have at least one friend who doesn't abandon them. And we pray for responsibility to live wisely, to seek and accept support and compassion from the community. We pray especially this morning for openness to the gospel and a hunger and thirst for God. And as we pray for caregivers, we pray for grandmothers and young teenagers who often bear the burden of care, for community workers and volunteers who visit the homes of those infected, We pray for the ability to do the job without it haunting them day and night. And we ask for more people to catch the vision to care for those around them. And as we think of orphans and vulnerable children, we pray for those who seek provision of daily food and adequate shelter. Those who seek protection from abuse and exploitation. Those who look for safety and security. We pray this morning for resources for them so that they can attend school, buy uniforms and pay for school fees. We pray most of all for somebody in their lives to care and love them. In terms of prevention and education, we pray for government leadership and public health who design AIDS campaigns. We thank you this morning for leaders who are giving a clear and positive message and ask that they may unitedly bring education for positive, responsible, moral ways of living. And in terms of enabling and empowerment, we pray that church leaders might admit the problem is also great within the church. That church leaders would take bold initiatives in response to AIDS. And that in your goodness and grace, more people will catch the vision 
to challenge their financial resources to those impacted by AIDS. We pray particularly and confidently against the spiritual forces who are wanting to destroy people. And then, Father, for ourselves on this AIDS Sunday, we pray for our attitudes to the whole pandemic of AIDS. Prevent us from being judgmental and uncaring, from jumping to conclusions when we don't know the facts. Help us to show something of your compassion for those who suffer. And above all else, we pray that we might be doers of your word and your will, and not simply be those who have been challenged and then walk away from our responsibilities to give, to go, and to pray. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after all the statistics and all the information and all the considerations, can I ask you this morning, what's your response? We were going to look at a couple of other things, but I deliberately want to end with this. Do you feel overwhelmed? I know certainly as I did some preparation for this, I didn't realize and I'd been in mission for 19 years, knew some of the problems, but really was finding this quite a daunting experience to present this morning. You feel a sense of hopelessness. Is there hope for AIDS? Well, let's watch a video for the last few moments and I hope that that will encourage you before you leave today. are inviting the church to identify more volunteers, give them the necessary training, empower them, enable them, so that we can send them out as ambassadors on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ to address the HIV AIDS problem. This is the extent of the problem. And if we don't do something about it, we stand to see this generation of mankind wiped out under our own very eyes. It's a challenge to the body of Christ. And at the same time, it offers an opportunity for us to get involved. To get involved with the compassion and the hope of our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read with you just some verses as we close this morning before we sing. They're from Psalm 130. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Just listen. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. 
O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love and an overflowing supply of salvation. He himself will free Israel from every kind of sin.